Well, this morning we have an everyday story of country folk. Or perhaps as The Archers uh, on Radio 4 is now claimed to be, contemporary drama in a rural setting. This is contemporary, of course, only if uh, your context is 1300 to 1100 BC. But it is the time of the judges. And that's a time of great turmoil for the children of Israel. They'd attempted to settle in the promised land. They'd come through the wilderness that we were thinking of on Thursday, through into a new place, a place where they could live. And now there were still many tribes Still many false gods being worshipped. Still much going on. And although we might associate the time of the judges with characters like Gideon or Deborah, the people, on the whole, did not put their trust in God. They might have thought of God at times when they were looking to nationhood or considering their military might. But when it came to their normal daily life, they were not worshipful people, particularly when it came to agricultural, agricultural things. With farming, they would look to Baal. And in turning to Baal, they thought of this fertility god, and it flew completely in the face of being a travelling people, a wilderness people, and how they had been provided for in their wilderness journey. God is the one who meets needs. Elimelech and Naomi are thought to have been a wealthy farming family. They were among the wealthiest people. And that's understood that the Ephraith is understood to put them into a different category within Bethlehem. And Bethlehem itself is a name that means house of bread. It is part of Judah that supplies food for everyone. We might think of that house of bread name like Garden of England, you know, in Kent. You know, that sense, a a barn that provides everything to those. But there was a famine. There was a famine that drove Naomi and Elimelech away. Now, what caused this famine, we do not know. But we do pick out a number of factors about their relocation. First off, although it's not like moving house today, and I would guess at some stage in your life, probably everybody here has moved house. It might have been as a child, it might have been when you got married, 
might have been older. You might have moved house many, many times. You might have moved house doing it yourself in the back of a van, loading everything up. You might have had a massive wagon. I know two years ago when we moved, it was a huge lorry. They had thought they might need two, but they squeezed it into one. You know, even back 3,000 years ago, although not needing a wagon, huge pantechnican, it would have still have been an effort to move home. Especially if you're not talking just down the street. They moved to Moab. They moved 50 miles, roughly. And so that causes disturbance. Not something to be entered into lightly. But they moved because of the famine. But if it's brought by climate... 50 miles isn't really going to improve your sitting much, is it? So it probably wasn't climate that drove them away. And it was more likely the conflict between the tribes, the disagreements that were going on. Now, of course, the people of Moab are the descendants of Lot. Lot's the nephew of Abraham rather than a son. And the Moabs worshipped the god Chemosh in a religion that involved human sacrifice. And the two sons of Naomi chose Moabite wives. And in doing that, they're saying, we're going to settle here. We're not going to go back to Bethlehem. We have moved. We're staying put. When uh, Emily and I were first called to Northampton, we said, we've got to be here for a good time. We've got to be here for about 10 years because we'd moved about three or four times in the previous two years. You know, with selling Emily's house and rented accommodation and everything like that. We'd moved. And you say, you want to settle. When you've moved somewhere, you want to settle. You want to be there. And that's what the sons do. They say, we're staying here. And they have their Moabite wives. Now, of course, intermarrying is not just a sign that they're not planning on returning to Bethlehem. It's not just a sign that they're settling in that community. It's a sign that they're taking on things of that community the habits and it goes against the teaching of the law we also discover that the wider family hasn't moved Naomi has a letter or some communication from the family that's still at Bethlehem not everybody left there we hear later on when they go back, that they meet family members, they settle with family members. There are people in Bethlehem that are doing quite well, thank you, that have become really profitable farmers. It's the time of the barley harvest, is the clue at the end 
of the reading. There's lots going on in Bethlehem. But Elimelech and Naomi took their family to Moab. They were seeking wealth, continued wealth, albeit in a pagan area. They sought fullness, but what they found was emptiness. Everything went wrong. How often do we make a decision based on what we feel is right for our personal wealth, our personal happiness? Probably much of the time. Now, how often is it that we decide based on what God is showing us, what the path ahead is that God wants us to follow? Often in the Old Testament, when things go awry, it's because people have tried to make their own way instead of following the way of God. When they've tried to journey on and shape their life rather than seeing how God may shape their life, things don't come to pass quite as quickly or quite in the way they would hope. Naomi's husband and sons die. in less than 10 years of settling in Moab. That must have caused her great turmoil, great pain. What hope is there for her? And so she wants to naturally return home. And as she considers going home, as she starts to set out, there's almost a sense that these daughters could do better where they are or maybe even that they might be a burden she will become an element of burden on a family when she gets back to Bethlehem she doesn't have a husband she doesn't have that support network up the way she only has brothers and cousins of the family so rather than saying when we get there there'll be three mouths to feed she thinks of going herself. And again, this is a lack of searching for God's way and a lack of seeking God's provision. Instead of saying that God will provide, she considers that the Lord is against her. And after Orpah listens to Naomi and turns back to be with her parents, the mother-in-law says to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go with her. Naomi thinks Ruth would be better off with a false god than the one true god. That shouldn't surprise us. Because the world today is full of people who think they can make their own way in the world. The world is full of people who put their trust in false gods rather than the true God. 
there may even be people in churches, maybe even in this church, that although coming to worship, actually put their trust in the comfort of the world. What example of our belief or story of our faith do we tell our family and our friends? What story do we tell ourselves about the words that we sing in our hymns, the words that we read in the scriptures, the words that we have of prayer? When we say the Lord's Prayer and say, give us today our daily bread, are we calling for God to give us that sustenance? Or is it simply words that trip off our tongue because we grew up learning them? Naomi does not seem to have much faith in God. She gives herself a new name, Mara, meaning bitter. The opposite of Naomi, which is pleasant. Do we get seen as being bitter towards God about the things that happen in our life? There will be times of sadness. There will be times we are frustrated or concerned. Times when we have a sense of brokenness or grief. There will be times when there is deep loss, be it of a husband or wife, a son of a daughter, maybe of our parents. But Naomi, in that deep loss and in that deep pain, does not turn to God for help. And that's something that we must do. God is there. And we have sung this morning of the nature of God. Our first two hymns and songs had lines in that said about how he is slow to chide and swift to bless. You know, he is a God of love. He is a God that cares for you. When we are lost emotionally, when we are struggling and wondering what the point to continue continue is, we have to, instead of rushing into our own plan, consider what God would have us do how God would have us move, what God would have us say. Naomi wants to journey alone, to travel light, to cause minimum burden to whomever she meets in Bethlehem. Orpah wants a new husband, wants to get on with her life, is going back to her old family, to her old gods. Ruth wants to be a loving daughter. She wishes to care for Naomi. Which of these is the path that God would have them follow? 
Traditionally, it would be a son that would provide for the parents in old age, albeit perhaps through the care of the wife. Ruth seems to want to take that responsibility that was her husband's. She will travel. She will stay with the mother. She renounces the idea of having false gods, but speaks in faith. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. It has an interesting echo of the covenant relationship that the Lord establishes with Abraham. I will be your God. You're going to be my people. Your descendants are going to be my people. And the word people used by Ruth is not about immediate family. In promising to serve Naomi, to journey with Naomi, she's saying that she will think of family. But in saying, your people will be my people, that word for people is a sense of nation. Your nation will be my nation. I'm taking on a new identity. I'm joining with the children of God. And she continues in saying, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever more severely. You know, that, and that word Lord, when you find it in capital letter, I'm just going to check how it appears here. But when it appears uh, often in our Bible, all in capital letters, that's a translation of Yahweh, the Lord's name. I am who I am. In the Lord deal with me. She's calling on the justice of God for the journey that she is going on. Ruth expresses a faithfulness to family, nation, and God. It's a faithfulness that goes beyond anybody else in the family that we are seeing here. It's significant because it shows the depth of feeling by Ruth that God will act in her life. Before committing ourselves to Christ, we are generally like Orpah, the Moabite, putting our own values first, seeking personal gain, personal satisfaction. But we are challenged in faith to become like Ruth, putting God's desire and the needs of others before our own self-will. To be selfless rather than selfish. Sometimes we need to be more open to the person who, might, who we might have understood to be outside the norm. Ruth is the Moabite. She's the stranger. She's the person that wouldn't normally be considered the person of faith. But here she is, having come into a family, and she is the faithful one. Sometimes the new person, the stranger, 
the one new to faith, is the one that gives us the encouragement and the push to make us be God's people in the way we have to be. They are the people of faith that can move mountains. And we sometimes struggle to. We need to be more open and live authentically in the way Jesus would wish. And we need to be careful not to become like Naomi, speaking words of faith, but inside no longer trusting in that kind and compassionate nature of God. We don't fully see why this daughter-in-law is so faithful. Perhaps she'd seen something of faith in her husband or brother-in-law or father-in-law before they died. Maybe we can still see a glimmer of the old faith of Naomi that was there prior to the loss of spouse and sons as she tried to bless Orpah and Ruth with words of prayer that may give hope. May the Lord show you kindness. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has been acting on her heart, opening it to see the error of the Moabite God and the truth of the Lord. Naomi still has a faith. I wouldn't want you to think that 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 had deserted her. She still believes that God exists. Naomi still believes that God is all-powerful. She refers to him as the Almighty. She accepts that God's will must be done, that it cannot be avoided. But she's lost that sense of love. That sense of love that can bring comfort in the most challenging of times. And instead of allowing God's arms to surround her, she points the finger to God. She points the finger and blames him. People of faith are not immune to bad things. But we can have hope in our adversity. We can have hope because we have a God of love. As the story continues through the rest of the book, and I do encourage you to read the whole book. The book, it only takes about ten minutes. It's a lovely short story. You know, do go and read your Bibles at home and find out what happens. But I'll give you a clue. God's grace acts. God's grace comes to this family. We see the kindness of others. We see food being provided. We see a kinsman for Ruth to marry. And through the birth of Ruth, uh, Ruth's child, Naomi is said to have a son. God removes the bitterness and provides hope for the future. God removes bitterness 
and provides hope for the future. That's not what Naomi had been thinking in our chapter this morning. But that is the long-term picture. May we know and trust in the providence of God, the all-powerful creator, yet the heavenly father, who did not spare his son Jesus the Christ, but gave him to us in love, that we might be people of hope, that we might be forgiven, that we might know his love. Amen.